You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Alongside Joe Hopkins, I'm Dave Griffiths. Mike Chappell, once again, getting the week off as we rest, recharge, and prepare for the upcoming NFL season. Joe, he's like the Colts, you know, you're supposed to be on this week for minicamp. We're out here doing work, but... Uh, but seriously, Chap is... Uh... Yeah, we thought he might hold out, but we negotiated <laughs> with him. We gave him this time off. As long as he's you know ready and in shape by training camp. Exactly. I expect nothing less from a veteran like Mike Chappell. Um, for the show today, um, we'll discuss the news around the NFL this week that broke about the COVID-19 vaccine restrictions that will impact players, whether they are or are not vaccinated. And, and Joe, like I tweeted out just, just as a quick preview, I mean, like it... It's basically two classes of players, yeah. uh, how the NFL is treating it for the preseason, isn't it? It's basically, if you're not vaccinated, you have to go through all the stuff as last year, and if you are vaccinated, you're free to go. Nothing. And we'll also break down how the offseason impacted the fantasy output expectations for your Indianapolis Colts. We figure that's a good time to talk about that since Chap is not in-house. In, in <laughs> as he says, he, he doesn't do fantasy, but, but Joe certainly does. You can check out all his work. He is, in fact, at Roto Street Joe um, online. You can see him tweet it out and get his work uh, on the website there. Is it Roto World or Roto Street? I'm uh, sorry, Roto, Roto Street, Street Journal. Journal. I knew it was something else after that. That's my <laughs> fault. Um, so RotoStreetJournal.com and uh, see see the work he does there. And, and I've been I've been doing it, of course, for for ages. I like it's funny. I found my first fantasy football draft, Joe. Like the, just the paper it was on. Like back we we all went to this like local sports uh, sports themed restaurant when I was I don't know. Uh, 10th grade or something and did our first uh, me and a bunch of friends from church did our fantasy football draft there it was and and I, and I like had the piece of paper still who was your first pick you it, actually you know what I think it might have been uh, Marshall Falk who was a okay. Colt at the time so this was Peyton Manning's rookie year and uh, I had Marshall Falk on my team uh, it was I had him and I had Garrison Hurst who who came back from his uh, his what it called his, his ACL injury he was like NFL comeback player of the year that year. San he was on the San Francisco, yeah. Time? So okay. I had Herman Moore was my wide receiver. He was coming off his like 140 catch season for the Lions there. Like, uh, so it, it, it was just fun like, to look back. <laughs> yeah, really no fun. But, but my quarterbacks were like Trent Dilfer and somebody else. So I, I had a, actually had a pretty bad year because I had no quarterback, and it was a it was a high uh, high quarterback uh, impacting league. Anyway, you, you don't care about my fantasy team from 2002. <laughs> um, we're we're going to get to the Colts, and we're going to start <clears throat> with um, the NFL's COVID-19 uh, vaccination policy updates. So, the NFL and the NFLPA have changed their protocols, loosening restrictions for fully vaccinated players and hoping to encourage others to get the vaccine. From what I understood reading online, NFL.com, these will be in place for training camp and the preseason and uh, that, that's what it's set in stone for now. And I think this could even change furthermore for the regular season. But for now, this is what it's going to be. Unvaccinated players must continue to get daily testing, just like they did last year, like you said, Joe. Got to keep wearing masks. You have to practice physical distancing. Won't be allowed to eat meals with teammates. Not participate in any media or marketing activities while traveling. Not permitted to use saunas or steam roofs. Can't leave the team hotel while you're traveling or interact with people outside the team, and you have to quarantine after high-risk exposure events. So, like you said, all those things, pretty much everything that was happening last year, I think, like, somebody, I heard somebody say that they're not even going to be able to travel on the team play, and I don't know if that's true. So, uh, anyway, uh, like I, I heard it, I'll, I'll look it up in a second when, when you go, Joe, but 
Um, it, it, for vaccinated players, like it, it's none of those restrictions. So they're they're really trying to get players who are who are on the fence to to have a very clear and an obvious reason to get the vaccine that you don't have to jump through all these hoops in order to play football. Yeah, and this just screams to me competitive balance. Like remember last year when Jonathan Taylor had to sit out a game because he visited, I think his girlfriend who was deemed a high risk exposure. Yep. Um, so just not even players catching COVID, but not being vaccinated and being in close contact with someone who's deemed high risk could take a player out for a game or two. Um, so obviously whatever teams have the most amount of vaccinated players, especially starters and key players are going to have an advantage over teams with less vaccinated individuals. And it's true that, um, I looked it up just to make sure the te- players who are not fully vaccinated have to travel on a separate plane two road games, which, wow. which, I mean, that right there is, is stunning to me. Um, that, that's a big, big difference to keep, keep those guys away from the rest of the team. So, um, and, and if you break some of these rules, players can be fined up to $50,000. So, Hey, if, if all the, the rigmarole, uh, isn't enough for you, well now it could hit your checkbook. If, if you do one thing, if you accidentally do something wrong, you know? So, so it, it's definitely, it, it's definitely the NFL taking a stand and saying, Vaccines are important to us, and if it's not so much important to you, I, I'm not going to get into the to the good and the bad of this, and the, and the yes and the no. And like that's that's I, I don't think that's my job to 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 express my opinion about it to anybody. I'll tell you, I'm fully vaccinated. I have been for a couple months. Same here. But yeah, I I I I, I don't hold. How, how do I put it? I can it? see why people would be oh, hesitant yes, about it. Completely. I completely understand. Yes, and and, and so. So anyway, like that's that's certainly not the topic of, of, of this podcast because I'm not. I, I I figure I think that you guys should listen out there to to experts or uh, on the opinions. And I, I'm not that. So and, ask and your Joe's, doctor. Yeah, Joe's not an expert either. And so, uh, so anyway, so I'm not I'm not going to stand here and try to wax eloquent on on what people should or should not be doing with with their own health decisions. Um. So so anyway, that's that that's all I have to say about that. But um. But but I will add that the Washington Post's Mark Mask reports that. A couple teams that are in the NFL's uh, lowest player vaccination rates are there are teams that the Colts are going to play this year, scattered to the Chargers, the uh, Cardinals, the Jaguars, but also the Colts are among that group in the uh, in the bottom of the NFL in terms of the rate of their players that are uh, that are vaccinated. So um, it, it, it's a, it was a fitting topic to discuss with uh, Colts general manager Chris Ballard yesterday, and it was a, a fortunate that that we were able to get him. Um, yesterday being honored at Marion University, and we'll get into why for just a second, but uh, Chris was kind enough to give me a few minutes of his time. Um, obviously, I would have liked to spend an hour with him and, and talk about the, uh, the the cornerback depth for uh, for the coming year, but uh, the, obviously the situation was was quite different that he was um, that he was being honored at Marion University for some uh, some off the field work that he and his family do. But anyway, uh, in our quick discussion, certainly had to bring up the issue of the vaccination policies, which just broke yesterday. So here's what Chris had to say about uh, about tackling this issue, and I, the question I asked was just just how ardently Chris uh, will will he uh, uh, breach this topic with his players in a topic that that can be a, a sticky situation. Chris, we've seen today the NFL release some COVID protocols for the new season. How ardently do you address this topic with your players in terms of the differences between vaccinated and unvaccinated and what can be a sticky topic for some players? There's there's no doubt it can be a little sticky, but look, we give our players the choice. 
and you know we're not going to mandate that everybody get vaccinated everybody, it's a personal choice for everybody in our community and everybody in our country and everybody on our team um, we're encouraging it um, but saying that we'll deal with whatever we have to deal with we we saw that we could handle what they th you know what we had to deal with last year and you know whatever the numbers are this year we'll deal with it again so that's chris ballard on how the colts are going to handle vaccination policies for the year and uh, joe i i know that some teams are going to be more stringent than than chris ballard sounds like he's going to be it's going it, it sounds like at least for now with the policies that are in place that uh as much as they will encourage their players to get vaccinated and uh i know that teams across the nfl have brought in experts to discuss things with their players this is not a you do this or you're in danger of, of not making the roster it doesn't sound like he, he is that ardently um making enforcing it to happen in this team at all yeah, it's another player-friendly approach from Chris Ballard and the Colts, kind of leaving it up to their choice. Um, obviously, it would benefit the team if they were vaccinated mm -hmm. because they don't have to worry about close contacts. They can eat with their teammates. I mean, it'd really be much more enjoyable to be vaccinated, health concerns aside. Um, but he's going to leave it up to the players. And I know every team's kind of handling this different. I think I saw Washington brought in like experts to... Yep talk to their players, and then I saw an interview with Bruce Arians in Tampa Bay. They asked him if he brought in an expert. He said, I'm the expert. Get vaccinated. <laughs> that sounds like Bruce. <laughs> yeah. So every team's handling this differently, but I'm not surprised that Chris Ballard is taking a player-friendly approach. Yeah, yeah. And so anyway, the, uh, the honor, as I was saying, at Marion University, uh, they, they uh, enshrined or inducted Chris Ballard, rather, into the Clayton family circle of honor on Wednesday evening. And uh, that, that's an honor created to recognize individuals who exemplify the character-building qualities associated with athletics in a university community and to inspire Marion's faith, tradition, and values uh, activated through athletics, uh, among other ways. So um, as, as was very obvious since uh, Chris Ballard and his family arrived here in Indianapolis, Joe, they, they jumped right in. And, and he is quick to give credit to his wife, Kristen, who certainly plays a big role in, in a lot of the charitable work that, that the, the Ballard family is, is a part of, whether it's Make-A-Wish or the Gleaners Food Bank. Or, or so many other things, but um, but it, like at, at first it was, you know, you do it because it's part of your DNA, and those are the people you obviously want to, to partner with, like like uh, Marion does with with Chris. But they continue to do it because because Indianapolis is home to them now, and he's been here for for four years, going on five now, and uh, he, he he's a he's a a guy that uh, is that that makes other people in this in the city want to partner with him and with the Colts, like. Guys in the past, like Peyton Manning, like Bill Polian, like Chuck Pagano have. So um, so the Colts are, are fortunate in that aspect to have a guy who is leading their uh, their organization, really, who uh, who has the support of the community behind him. Yeah, th there's a reason he's running the Indianapolis Colts, basically. Uh, his character is top-notch, and that just kind of trickles down to the rest of the organization, what we see from Frank Wright, and their emphasis on bringing in um, high-character players and high-character coaches into their building uh, obviously, what the fans care most about is wins and losses. As they should. As, As they, they should. Yes. Absolutely. That's what they're supposed to do. But at the same time, it also feels good to be able to hang your hat on the that the people you're rooting for are also good people off the field. And uh, Colts fans will low, no likely, no doubt, likely be hoping to have some uh, some good fantasy impacts from their favorite uh, Colts this year. Joe is excited. I'm excited. Um, I, I love this podcast that we do every year, and who knows? Well, I'm sure we'll be eat, eating our words in uh, in <laughs> September and October. But um, like that, it's it's 
it, it's always fun to to see uh, to see how the the preseason expectations turn into regular season reality year after year. Yeah, and we'll probably do another fantasy show as we so. get as closer we to draft time. Yeah. Um, but things change just from the offseason. Players drafted, right. free agency, so it's fun to talk about whose stock might have gone up and down. Well, the, the highest stocked cult from last year was certainly rookie running back Jonathan Taylor. Finished as the number six running back in the 2020 season in PPR leagues. He averaged 26 PPR points per week over the final five games. And Joe, obviously, we, Jonathan had a slow start to the year. And when you looked at some other rookies that were starting faster, it was like, what's going on with this guy? Especially after he jumps in really to more of a full-time role with the injury to Marlon Mack. But as the season went on, he got better, obviously. He felt more comfortable, obviously. So at the end of the year, he was at his absolute best, I think. I like When you're talking about ceilings, I think we saw what Jonathan Taylor's ceiling can be in his rookie year. Now it's a matter of making it consistent and being able to do this on a week-to-week basis in the NFL. And uh, like, he he could be a, a top 10, top 15 pick in fantasy drafts for the next five or six years of his career. Yeah, he, he's a guy who, I mean, we saw, like you said, that ceiling 26 points a game is pretty ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it wasn't for a couple games with like 19.5 fantasy points, I mean, we could have just said he scored over 20 fantasy points for the final five weeks. He was an absolute beast. Um, there are some things that concern me with Jonathan Taylor this year, especially him being drafted so high. He's currently, his average draft position on ESPN.com is 9.6, so he's going around the ninth or 10th overall pick, um, right after running backs like McCaffrey, Cook, Henry, Kamara, Saquon Barkley, and Ezekiel Elliott. Those are the running backs going ahead of him, and I can't really argue with any of those. No, you really can't. Um, those are all studs, and really... My hesitancy with Jonathan Taylor just comes down to the return of Marlon Mack. Uh, if it wasn't for Marlon Mack returning, I'd say go ahead and expect you know those last five weeks of the season to continue because it was his backfield. Hines was still getting his work as well, um, so it wasn't you know Jonathan Taylor getting ninety nine percent of the running back touches. But Marlon Mack is going to take at least at least five to ten touches away from Jonathan Taylor every week. Um, and I don't think that's insignificant. So I still view Jonathan Taylor as probably a RB1, a top 12 running back, but kind of in that back end, and his ceiling doesn't jump up again unless something happens to Marlon Mack or Naheem Hines. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that you, you can't think that Jonathan Taylor is going to be a top five running back in, in fantasy this year. Uh, it, like you said, there are some other guys who are workhorses who are in front of him. Barring injuries, of course, as always. If another, uh, God forbid, injury happens to Marlon Mack and then Jonathan Taylor really has to take over the reins, then then immediately he <coughs> becomes what he was at the end of last year. And, and and you would expect that. But but as it is, with Mack there, with Hines still there as well, it, it, there there is a a glass ceiling for, for what Jonathan Taylor can achieve. And, and if he's any higher than running back six, I would be absolutely stunned. And I think you're right. I think the bottom half of RB1 is a good good bullet or a good uh, target to, to get Jonathan Taylor. Um, and if he slips to RB2, then then fantastic. Yeah, round two, gobble yeah, him up. Absolutely, 
I think there's there's incredible value there. Maybe if you pick at the end of the first round in the snake draft and you were able to get him there, fantastic. Yeah. Or in the start of the second round. So that's couple, like, um, that's what I would love to have him. A couple running backs going right after him are Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones, and Austin Eckler. And I kind of associate him more with that group than yeah. the Elliots and Barkleys and Cooks because that group all kind of shares work as well. You know, Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb, I think, is a great comparison because Nick Chubb is... If Kareem Hunt wasn't there, he might be the first overall pick mm-hmm. in fantasy. Um, but because he shares that backfield with another talented running back, he just gets less opportunities. And that's the way you need to look at Jonathan Taylor as well. And there might be some weeks where Jonathan Taylor only gets like eight carries and maybe two catches because Marlon Mack gets hot. And we've seen in the past that Frank Reich really does like to run with the hot hand. That was something that he and Nick Sirianni talked about all the time. And even though Nick's gone and Marcus Brady's now the offensive coordinator... I think they're probably going to do the same thing. They're just not going to force Jonathan Taylor the ball if Marlon Mack is out there having a day. So, like, like for my running back one, I always loved having a guy that I knew was going to get the ball like 20 to 30 times a game. You know, if you can get Derrick Henry as your number one back, awesome. If you can get Christian McCaffrey as your number one back, obviously, that's incredible. So, like, there, there's, just some, there's just some speculation or some doubt as to how much John, Jonathan Taylor is going to get this year with yeah. Marlon Mack, as there should Nothing be. Nothing to do with his ability. No, not at all. I mean, he's a stud. I think he's going to have some great weeks. He's going to have some 25-point weeks. He's going to have some 35-point weeks, maybe, if he if he really gets going. Like He, he has that potential, so that's why I, I would love him as my RB1. But if I'm hit, picking in the top half of the first round, it's probably not going to be him. It's probably going to be someone else who has a, a little bit higher of a ceiling. Uh, yeah, e- even though, I, I, like I said, I really do love the guy. I've done way too many mock drafts so far. And Jonathan Taylor's cutting that, that running back where I start thinking about wide receivers. You know, the top six clear tier of running backs go with McCaffrey and Zeke and Henry, Cook, Kamara, all of them. And then I go, okay, do I take Jonathan Taylor or do I take, like, the best wide receiver, which that's even up in the air with, you know, who knows who's going to be throwing it, Devontae Adams. Right? If it's Rodgers, then you're like, I want Devontae Adams. But if if it's not Rodgers. If it's Love, it's maybe I do want Jonathan Taylor or Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, those kind of guys. So those are decisions you got to start making once you get to that range in the back end of the first round when you're thinking about Jonathan Taylor. Let's talk about Naheem Hines, because he finished as running back 15 in 2020 PPR. And Joe, I think if you asked most people around, most Colts fans, they would not they would be surprised that he was, he was, I was that high. I was surprised when I looked that up. Yeah, put it all together. So uh, he set career highs in almost every statistical category in 2020, including yards per rush, 4.5, or 4.3 rather, and yards per reception at 7.7. He had nearly five targets per game in 2020. And his 76 total targets were the third most among running backs. He's being taken right now as the 38th running back off the board average on ESPN. Average draft position at 142.3. I think that Marlon Mack's return impacts Jonathan Taylor far more than it impacts Naheem Hines. Hines is still going to have his role. and He, he hates the term um, like gadget guy. And I'm not going to call him that. No. But he has a specific role as a running back in this offense. And he has plays that other guys that are designed for his unique talents. That doesn't make him a gadget guy. That makes him a special running back to me. I think Hines will still get his 70 targets, his 80 targets, whatever it might be. And and I think you can chalk him up. Like, he's, he's, he's the... 
the running back I feel most confident about, about like what he's going to do this year. With Taylor, even though I think he's going to be better and he's going to obviously have a better fantasy season than, than Hines, I would say. I just think there's a little bit more wiggle room in what he can can do. Like if you want, really want him in like the six to seven range, or if you think of him more in like the 13 to 14 range, I think there's a good debate there. And being so high in the draft, that's a really big difference in in, in your real value for Naheem, for for Jonathan Taylor. But for Hines, I think he can be easily a a third running back, your flex player. And you could be really, really happy with him. And I think he's going to be relatively consistent because he's going to get those targets throughout the year. And he's going to have those catches, especially, obviously, this is PPR format that we're talking about. That yeah, You that, don't want him in a standard No, I, I wouldn't either. But but in a PPR league, like I, if he finishes all the way down at 38 in terms of running back production, which is where he's being drafted according to ESPN, I would be stunned. I think he's going to be a good deal higher than that, probably more along the lines of the 25 to 30 range is the... Like is the I think the floor for him, and if he he could go up to to fifteen again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he, he was that high either. Yeah, looking at Hines, I mean he's just consistently putting up solid points. He only had let's see three weeks of um, over twenty fantasy points. The rest are ten, six, eight, twelve, eleven, and over the course of the season that ended up being RB fifteen. But I think a reason that Hines is going so late is he has lower upside than some of these other running backs. Even if Jonathan Taylor got hurt or Marlon Mack got hurt, Hines's role doesn't expand that much. So you're only getting a flex play, even if best-case scenario works out for him. Uh, I like Naheem Hines. I do think Marlon Mack will take away from some of his rushing opportunities. Uh, Hines, you know, set career highs in um, rushing this past season, uh, both from yards and whatnot, but also from an efficiency standpoint, which is good to see his efficiency go up. But I do think Marlon Mack is going to get a few more of those carries uh, inside the 20, uh, just a few more of those handoff opportunities than Naheem Hines. But for how late he's going, he's a great guy to stash away as maybe your fourth running back or mm-hmm. a weekly flex play based on the matchup. If you you know look at the Colts' schedule and you see them a game that you think might be a shootout with somebody, Naheem Hines is going to be a good guy to start that week because he's going to be in there to catch passes as the Colts try and score points with, I don't know, maybe Buffalo is a game that stands out to me. It could be a 35-42 point game. Um, so Naheem Hines is a solid player, low ceiling, high floor. from and, Oh, the other thing I wanted to say, I think a fair way to put it is he's not a gadget guy, but he fills a gadget role in the Colts' offense, so to speak. I think he can do far more than the quote-unquote gadget player, but what he's asked to do kind of makes people say the word gadget a little bit. You look at some of those running backs that are being taken around him, Joe, and um, you look just slightly above, you see Ronald Jones from Tampa Bay, um, who's behind Leonard Fournette, obviously, on on their depth chart. You see Damian Harris at New England, A.J. Dillon at Green Bay, um, Devin Singletary in Buffalo. So that, that that's the, the the realm that he's being taken right now. I look at some guys above him, and, and I see I see a lot of opportunity for him to be better than a lot of these guys. But but like you said, there's some guys mixed in here that that could really jump up if um, if the situation is right for them. Like I, I think Ronald Jones is, is a, is yeah. a perfect, perfect candidate for that. That really could see a skyrocket. Format goes down. Yeah, to his fantasy value, and and like you said. 
if it's Jonathan Taylor or Marlon Mack going down, that's not necessarily uh, quote unquote good news for Hines in the fantasy world in his production. So, um, so yeah, I mean, and if you look way up there in the realm that I was talking about, like 25 to 30 range, um, you see guys like Chase Edmonds at uh, Arizona, uh, Mike Davis in Atlanta, who could, uh, I think a lot of people like Mike Davis and, and what he could do this year for the Falcons. Uh, James Robinson with Jacksonville, even though Urban Meyer keeps talking down, uh, I, I think he's, he's said that maybe Travis Etienne is a third down back. I, Travis, you can't, you're not going to keep him on the sideline. I think his, his talent is just too much, as, as good as Robinson was last year uh, for, for the Jaguars. You see Leonard Fournette up there as well, Raheem Mostert with uh, San Francisco, uh, Boiler yeah. up. And, uh, and Melvin Gordon down there with uh, with Denver is in the 30th. Even uh, a couple draft. above him. James Conner is a guy who I've kind of been targeting to, you know, Kenyon Drake gone in Arizona, James Conner in. I think James Conner can easily do just what Kenyon Drake did last year, which yeah. is most weeks top 20 running back, not a top 10 running back, but a solid guy who you can start most weeks. So I, I just think that kind of goes to show even A.J. Dillon in Green Bay, if uh, Aaron Jones goes down. He's not the biggest running back. AJ Dillon, you know, starts getting all the carries and what could be an explosive Green Bay offense if Rodgers is there. A, a lot of these guys just have far higher upside if things play right for them, which is kind of what you're doing in what are these picks 120 through 140. Mm-hmm. You're kind of just throwing darts at somebody who might be a league winner for you, mm-hmm. not someone who's going to end up as the running back 35. You want somebody who has a chance to be that running back 15 or whatnot if things play right. Uh, you're you're in r- round 13 or 14 at that point in a, in a 12-team league. So, yeah, that, yeah that's, what, that's what you're looking for. You're so. hoping for the jackpot. Now, now Marlon Mack, uh, who missed almost all of 2020 after tearing his Achilles in Jacksonville week one. He finished 2019 uh, as the 22nd-ranked running back in the league after topping 1,000 rushing yards in 14 games. Missed a couple games with injury there. His average draft position is not being drafted, basically, in most leagues. And if, if you're a fantasy owner right now, Taylor is obviously number one for the Colts. Hines is obviously number two. Mack is a guy who could see his production in a couple weeks of the year jump way up if Taylor gets nicked. And I think he's going to be valuable to uh, this running back group, but I don't think I don't think he's he he's not someone I would draft unless I drafted Taylor. I think he's a t- prototypical handcuff and, and that's that's all I would expect out of Marlon Mack even though I expect a couple of good weeks from him when he gets hot because I know he'll get hot. Because he's a good enough running back that he will when he gets some carries, and he will get some carries. But I, I just don't think he, he he has. There's no ability, I don't think, to for Marlon Mack to have consistent fantasy production this year if both guys in front of him stay healthy. Yeah, good luck guessing which weeks he's going to get hot. Exactly. Um, it, I like Marlon Mack a lot. Saying handcuff sure almost do. feels like an you, insult. You've said so he's many a thousand time. yard running back. Exactly. I give you a hard time. (laughs) He's a thousand yard running back um, almost two years in a row. Uh, And he has a lot of talent. I do think he'll get another opportunity somewhere else next year after he proves he's healthy and can get back and do it. Uh, But right now he's a guy you keep on your radar and pick up in case one of the Colts, uh, really just Jonathan Taylor gets hurt. Because if Naheem Hines get hurt, I don't think Marlon Mack all of a sudden takes all Naheem Hines catches. Um, so really, if Jonathan Taylor goes down, then go after and get Marlon Mack. But other than that, 
he's a guy who's more valuable to the Colts in real life than to you in fantasy. I, I was honestly surprised that the Eagles didn't take a flyer on him because they have Miles Sanders there, and obviously like he's their number one. And then Sirianni went over. That, that's obviously yeah. what I was thinking. I was thinking that he would go to Philadelphia, and he'd be really the backup to Miles Sanders and uh, could could be kind of a veteran guy for, for Sanders as well. Veteran. It's, it's weird to call Marlon Mack still a veteran. He's been in the league for four years. But um, but that that is very helpful to, to instead of a guy who's like Sanders in his second or Sanders in his third year. I think, I think he's about he's, to go third year. Okay, yeah, going into his third year. So he, even like even two years of difference can, can be can be a big thing for for some of these guys, and just to have more of a reliable backup there. But anyway, that that's just me uh, as someone who grew up in in the outside of the city of Philadelphia was thinking that was a possibility for Marlon Mack to go to the team that I cover to the team that I cheered for growing up, but it did not happen. And, uh, and he's back with the Colts, and I, I know a lot of people here are happy. And, and Joe, I think the happiest people to have Marlon Mack back are the other two guys we've already talked about in Taylor and Hines. Like they, it's a great group, and that, that's another thing that you, that you love to see if, if you're a Colts fan. It's, it's a group that, doesn't, that says, says they don't care too much about who gets the touches as long as they're, uh, as long as they're scoring, and, and they seem to, to live out and act that way too whenever one of the other guys gets in the end zone. Well, and it's great for a Colts fan knowing that if something did happened to Jonathan Taylor, who's suddenly high and away the best skill player on the Colts roster. Uh, they have Marlon Mack, who can get it done as well, as long as he returns healthy. So it, it's a good insurance policy to have. The Colts have probably the second best backfield in the league behind Cleveland with Chubb and Hunt. So I, I think I saw, I forget who it was, but a ranking list who had the Colts second uh, not too long ago. might have been pro football focus, but Marlon Mack, uh, excellent player, win healthy. Glad he's on the Colts, but I'm not going to be targeting him on my fantasy roster. Let's take a look at the Colts wide receivers, and when that discussion happens, you start with T.Y. Hilton. 31 years old, finished as wide receiver 42 last year in 2020 in PPR leagues. Uh, the last time T.Y. cracked the top 40 was 2018, so it's been uh, a few years. Uh, that year he was 14th overall, so he had a great year, obviously, in 2018 with a certain number 12 throwing him the football a good year for uh, for, for oh, Colts yeah. fans everywhere that we look back on with uh, with with rosy eyes. And a couple of weeks in Houston really boosted his fantasy. That too, yep, <laughs> that certainly helped. And uh, always love to see Ty in Houston. Uh, anyway, um, he was uh, Ty actually had a great finish to last year, just like Jonathan Taylor did. Joe, he had uh, the last five weeks of the season was the eleventh ranked wide receiver on the board, weeks twelve to seventeen. So he got something going there with uh, Philip Rivers. And that was a storyline throughout the start of the year. It's like, will T.Y. show up? Will T.Y. show up? And there were some times when, when Phil went deep and just drew some pass interference penalties, which are all great, but they don't do anything for the fantasy manager in us, you yeah. know? So it was it was crushing to see that for, for the fantasy guy who had T.Y. Hilton. I remember the one week someone asked me if they should start T.Y. Hilton. It was against the Vikings, and I said, do it. And that was the week he lost it in the sun. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, it was like a 50-yard, should have been a 50-yard touchdown. And the guy didn't watch the game. He came to me afterwards like, what the hell, man? Why did you tell me to start T.Y.? I was like, did you see? He dropped a 50-yard touchdown. That would have completely changed your week. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it seemed like early in the season things just weren't connecting with Hilton. He still looked fast. He still looked like himself out there. Maybe not 25-year-old T.Y. Hilton, but 2018 version. Um, but it just wasn't connecting until later in the year. Now the Colts have a brand-new quarterback. How long will it take? For him and Carson Wentz to connect, um, we we have kind of spoken about we think Wentz might be a better fit with Hilton, mm -hmm. um, just from his ability to go deep a little more. Yep. I mean, 
what was his quote a few weeks ago when they asked about his arm strength? He says, we can't give away all the secrets or mm-hmm. something. So, As he's smiling ear to ear. Yeah, yeah, something coy like that. So, I, I don't know. I, I feel like last year I said T.Y. Hilton is going to be a good value in the middle rounds, and that did not turn out to be true until you probably cut him by week 11 or 12 when yep. he started turning it on. But I think there is a realm of possibility where T.Y. Hilton – Cracks a thousand yards, maybe gets five or six touchdowns, and is a solid wide receiver, probably wide receiver three. I'd be surprised if he was a wide receiver two or better. I, I completely agree, and I, I think that's that's Ty's. Like, I, I don't think that he's gonna by any stretch approach his uh, eighty or ninety catches that he got that one year with, with Luck. That's not in the cards. That's not what we, we should expect. But I think a thousand yards is reasonable. Uh, a couple games when he has 80-yard touchdowns is to be expected. I think that'll happen with this year, with this team, with this quarterback throwing him the ball. So he's exactly what you want in a wide receiver three, um, a, guy, a guy that can can have a huge week. If you go to if you go to Houston and you catch four balls for 147 yards and two touchdowns, like that, that's that's exceptional for a wide receiver three. But then you're also going to get weeks where he has three catches for. I don't know, 27 yards, and that's it. That's what it's going to be with T.Y. this year because you have a lot of other guys you're trying to get the ball to, and uh, and Carson can't just completely uh, can't can't lock in on him going deep. You, do, you don't want Carson to do that, really. That's yeah. something that, that this coaching staff is trying to keep him from doing is just slinging it out there um, and, and, and taking all these chances all the time. That's not in Frank Reich's DNA. So uh, you, so he'll, he'll get some opportunities. But it's not going to be consistent production. Like you said, for a wide receiver three, somewhere between wide receiver 25 and 36, that would be. I think that's a very reasonable expectation for him since he finished 42 last year to see a slight bump in production because of the quarterback he has thrown in the ball. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think all these wide receivers, we'll go through uh, the top couple here. We'll talk about Pittman and Campbell. But I think all of them are going to have a tough time being that stud, reliable, week-in and week-out wide receiver just because of the nature of the Colts' offense. Frank Wright likes to spread it around. He doesn't like to really target or feature one pass catcher. Uh, it's hard. It was hard enough to get him to feature Jonathan Taylor last year, let alone a wide receiver, um, which is good in real-life football. It keeps the defense guessing. And unless you have a player who's really that good, like a Devontae Adams, Julio Jones, in, in today's NFL, you can't really just go to the same guy over and over and over again and expect him to win unless you have really one of those elite, top-notch players, which the Colts don't have in their wide receiver group right now. So I think T.Y. Hilton, I mean, he's being drafted 143rd overall. I think he could be a good value late in drafts. Um, and if not, he's costing you a lot less this year than he did last year where you might have wasted a fifth or sixth round pick. Here's a good question for T.Y. Since his average draft position is 143 and Naheem Hines is 142, who would you rather have on your team, T.Y. Hilton or Naheem Hines? Probably T.Y. Hilton. Think so? Yeah. Okay. I um, might lean toward Hines myself, but I, but I think you can certainly make the argument either way. It, it also depends on, obviously, who get who you get in the first round or your, like how, how the top of your depth chart looks in both running back and wide receiver, obviously. Yeah, there's there, there are a lot of factors at that point. I just find myself hitting running backs a little earlier in the draft. Yeah. So by the time I get to that area where Hilton and Hines are going... You're trying to get some good wide receiver depth in the middle round. Yeah, the get my there, wide yeah. receiver, like, four is probably... Wide receiver four, T.Y. Hilton at that point, as opposed to, like, my wide running back six with Naeem Hines, I'd take... T.Y. Hilton, and I just feel like this, I think T.Y. Hilton can get 1,000 yards. I'm not sure Naheem Hines will this year. I don't think so. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't bet for him to get 1,000. 
I think there'll be too many balls going elsewhere. But I do think he'll, like I said, I think he'll he'll top 60 catches and he'll probably score five or six touchdowns. I wouldn't be surprised if those are some of his numbers. So yeah. Um, so but like again, you... with Ty, if you get for Ty, if he gets like 70 catches. And he will top a thousand yards, I think, if he gets seventy catches, and he gets six touchdowns or something like that. So um, he's just gonna have, I think, more yardage under under his belt. But I think their touchdown numbers might be about the same, if that makes sense. Yeah, and they're kind of opposite players in the sense of Naheem Hines is gonna get you eight to twelve points just about every week. You can count on it. Or where Hilton, he'll get you like twenty five one week, and then you know, eight another week, and he's going to be all over the map, where Hines is going to be more consistent, but not quite as high of the weekly ceiling. If, if there's a week where Naheem Hines is your game winner and gets you 30 points, uh, I'd be surprised. That'd be pretty rare. And T.Y. right now being taken as the 53rd receiver off the board. Again, I think he should be a little bit higher than that, but some other wide receivers around there, Mike Williams out of the Chargers, uh, Jalen Ragor, the, uh, the Eagles, uh, Devontae Parker from the Dolphins, and a Jamison Crowder from from the Jets. So it's funny to see Jamison Crowder there because he's just so opposite of Ty. He's the guy that could get you eight nine catches a game, but it's just for eighty yards. But uh, you can you can rely if you're if you're looking for consistency in that time. Obviously, you take Crowder. If you're looking for a big playability, you take Ty. You know, it's it's like two very different wide receivers right around there. It always depends on how how you're trying to build your team as a, as a fantasy manager. And I think with both those wide receivers, what's holding them back in the fantasy aspect is. You don't know if they're going to be the top wide receiver in their offense. Yep. I mean, we'll talk about here in just a second, but Michael Pittman Jr. and Paris We'll Campbell, talk about him now. Yeah, Michael yeah, Pittman first, but go, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, they, they both, I wouldn't be shocked if they led the Colts in receiving this year. But all three one of, of them. them. Yep, yeah. either one. Would, and, would, go ahead. And with the Jets, with Crowder, you know, they brought in um, Corey Davis. Uh, they had the second round pick in Mims last year, and then they also drafted a receiver in the second round this year. So they also have a depth chart where you don't know who the guy is going to be. If there is one guy, it might be spread around and it lowers everyone's value. So I think that's kind of the range of wide receiver you're looking at. There. Michael Pittman Jr. finished as wide receiver 79 last year in PPR leagues. Uh, he had two top 25 wide receiver weeks, uh, just weeks 10 and 11 last year. Other than that, didn't crack the top 25. He uh, ran over 100 yards, total yards, in the playoff loss to the Bills. But only scored one touchdown, Joe. That's that's killer for, for fantasy to only see the end zone once. Not that many people were relying on Michael Pittman Jr. last year in a fantasy uh, perspective. But um, it, it, in order for, like, the Colts only have T.Y. Hilton for a one-year contract. So are they really going to try to push Michael Pittman Jr. this year to, to see what he can take, see what he can do? And then if he can, then you say goodbye to T.Y. And if he can't, maybe you sign T.Y. again or you look elsewhere. So... It's a big, big year for Pittman to to prove himself. I think in terms of what he can be in the future with the Colts, and from a fantasy perspective, again, that just leads to some doubt. That leads to some, um, some, some thoughts creeping into your head that he could have good weeks, he could have bad weeks. But if you look at last year, he certainly had a lot more bad weeks than good weeks. So if if you're relying on Pittman on your team, like I think you're putting a lot of faith in him and in the Colts to. To, to do things right where they didn't quite get it right last year. So it, it, it's a step. It's a leap of faith for sure if you want to draft Michael Pittman and hope that he actually has a role on your team this year to me. Absolutely. But the good news is he's going 155th overall. So yes. that's a good that's a good spot to take a leap of faith. And I, I think Pittman is going to take a step forward this year for sure. I mean, his rookie year, it, it was difficult for all rookies with COVID and training camp and all that. 
And then he had the serious leg injury earlier in the season, which kind of hampered his development and growth. You saw him get better uh, towards the end of the year and really have some good weeks. The Tennessee game uh, scored that touchdown against Green Bay. And then you mentioned the Buffalo game. So we've seen what he can do if things are going right for him. Um, I think in this offense, he'll kind of have that role similar to when Carson Wentz was, you know, at that MVP level, how he used Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, Wentz is not afraid to throw some some jump balls out there. If there's one on one, yeah, for sure. Like like I'm like I said that the Colts don't want Carson to 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 try too hard to to force things in places. But again, if if you get the right scheme to get a one on one matchup, he will throw it, and you should throw it. And that's part of the reason you draft a six foot four wide receiver, so he can go up over the top of people. If you're not going to use his size, why draft someone smaller and faster? And that, I will be surprised if the Colts don't get him more involved in the red zone this year. I, I hardly saw any fades to Michael Pittman Jr. last year, despite his size advantage over most cornerbacks. Um, I think that I think he's going to take a step forward this year, and I would not be shocked at all if he kind of overtook the helm as the Colts, in fact, to you know top wide receiver. I, it's it's weird because I'm just I'm more bullish on Paris Campbell than I am on on Michael Pittman, and that's I think that's a great debate right right now. <clears throat> Excuse me in fantasy circles, because like I, I, at the same time from from my perspective, like I'm having faith that Paris is actually going to be healthy for once, which he, which he hasn't been. Like other people who who's, who think that um, Pittman could be that wide receiver one by the end of the year, are having faith that he will take that next step and things will click. And uh, and Ty is kind of maybe taking a step back in, in, in his level of production too. So it's it it, it both both sides are, are requiring leaps of faith as they do in the middle of, of, of rounds in the draft. Um, but but that does bring us to Paris Campbell, who's the next wide receiver uh, for the Colts. He missed uh, the rest of the season after an injury in week two. Um, week one caught six of nine targets for 79, 71 yards and had nine yards on a rush. And we saw exactly what the Colts wanted to do with Paris Campbell because he has the ability, Joe, to, to run the ball on jet sweeps. We saw DeMichael Harris get a little bit of that toward the end of last year, the undrafted rookie. And even Pittman. And even Pittman got a couple like that near the end of last year as well. You're right. So, so Paris can do all those things. All those things are in the playbook because Paris is – not because Paris is on this roster, but – they want to get the ball in his hands. And I think yeah. as the season starts, they're going to want to get the ball in his hands again. Just like like Jonathan Taylor, they want to get the ball in his hands because he can turn the five-yard run into a 60-yard run. Same thing with Paris. If he makes one guy miss, if you get him on the right slip screen or whatever on a quick slant, and he just gets one half step ahead of his defender, you can turn the quick, the short gain into the big play. And Paris is that guy that can do that. So I think he could have some really big weeks this year if he stays healthy. I agree. And if it... If I had the same amount of confidence in his health as I did uh, Pittman Jr.'s health, I would probably side with him scoring more fantasy points. Kind of baked into my personal belief that in most drafts I would go Pittman over Campbell is the injury concern. Um, because I do think Paris Campbell fits better into this offense. Um, Frank Wright isn't, I haven't seen, like I said, we didn't see the fades to Pittman Jr. or those deep play, those jump balls where he takes advantage of his size, but we saw in Week One all those those quick passes, those slants over the middle where where Paris Campbell is just going to dominate, and it's hard for any cornerback, uh, no matter how fast they are, to stay with a guy with that much speed. 
Um, I just don't know how healthy he's going to stay. If he stays healthy, you know, a thousand yards is, I think 800 yards is the floor for Paris Campbell. Um, but that's a big if, uh, him staying out of the trainer's room and staying on the field. So honestly, all three of these guys are pretty equal in my head as far as who leads the Colts in receiving. It's all around that 33% chance because I see, I see the reasons why they might succeed and also the reasons they might fail. But I think the biggest thing holding all three of these guys back is how much the Colts are going to spread the ball around. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I agree. And right now, being the 63rd wide receiver off the board, that means he's going as like wide receiver six. And I would love to have Paris Campbell as my sixth wide receiver on a fantasy team. I think that that would be that would be a great spot to have him, and he could jump up into a flex or a number three wide receiver by by the end of the year if he's staying healthy. <clears throat> Excuse me, and uh, and you see exactly what the Colts are able to do with him through those first couple weeks. So I would love to have him on my team. It all depends on who's throwing him the ball, and of course the Colts want that to be Carson Wentz for now and into the future. And Joe, I find it funny that uh, as as down as everyone was on Carson Wentz last year, he was still the 11th-ranked quarterback in the league. So he's starting quarterback in a 12-team league, albeit at the bottom, through the first 12 weeks of the year before he was benched. Yeah. So he still put up some numbers, and I would expect him to put up some numbers again. The problem with Carson was he would get two or three touchdowns and then two or three interceptions. And from a team perspective in trying to win a game, that's bad. Obviously, from a fantasy perspective, you can somewhat live live with with that, that, especially if it's in a shootout or he's trying to come back late. So you're getting some of those garbage time yards. So Carson Wentz's fantasy prospectus could be even better than his general playing prospectus for the Colts, assuming he stays healthy again. I think that's always something we're, we're talking about when people stay healthy. So right now, Carson is going as the 24th quarterback off the board in ESPN, which is ludicrous to me that he's going that low because he's got better wide receivers. He's got a better offensive line. He's got better running backs here than last year. And he was QB 11 before he got benched. I'm not saying he didn't deserve to get benched. You can certainly make that argument, but you cannot make the argument that there are 23 quarterbacks that should go before him in a fantasy draft. I just, I, I can't make that argument and I can't understand anybody who would. It's tough because I, I have the list here, and we can go through it, and you can Let's tell me who you'd, who you'd rather have. Please. We'll start with the 23rd, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I wonder who I would rather have. I would rather have Carson Wentz. <laughs> Fitzmagic, man? He, he's had some good weeks out there. Get out, Joe. <laughs> Get out. This will be inside and outside the Fog of the Podcast studio. Get. We'll keep going. Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, I think, has the potential to be a top-five fantasy quarterback this year. Like, I mean, that's really low for Daniel Jones, too. But I, I wouldn't take him top five. I just think that he could be a sleeper candidate. So Daniel Jones is maybe more along the range. Maybe I just am more bullish on both of them than I am on, on other people. Kirk Cousins. I will take Carson Wentz. Ben Roethlisberger. I'll easily take Carson Wentz. Okay. Car- ben, ben scares the heck out of me. Yeah, he does. Um, speaking of scary guys, Deshaun Watson. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> if, I, if I had, like, a good number one, if I had Patrick Mahomes, then I would easily take Deshaun Watson as my backup and, and, and be living the high life, maybe, if he, if he actually plays this year. But, but there's no way that, that I can take him as, as, my, as a starting quarterback. It, it, based on what we know now in, in, the, in the middle of June, hopefully we'll see some more, um, more definite uh, 
results on that closure the season. Yeah. Uh, this one, I'm surprised with how high he's going. 18th. Tua Tagovailoa. No, I don't want Tua. No. There's no way. I, I wouldn't draft Tua yeah. in any fantasy league. Baker Mayfield, uh, Justin Fields, Matt Ryan, Trevor Lawrence. Justin Fields, get get out of here. Get out. That, <laughs> I'm not going to believe that the Bears drafted a good quarterback until until I see it. So so we'll see about that. I would, I would not draft Justin Fields over Carson Wentz. Only thing about Fields is he can run, and we know how valuable that is in fantasy. He can. So even if he throws two picks, if he runs for— For a touchdown yeah. Yeah, or 60 yards. Yeah, you, you make a good point, but I still— I'd still exactly. rather have Carson. So he's kind of in that range. I do think Carson Wentz is being undervalued just because of the narrative of how bad he was last year, which I think the narrative of how bad he was is worse than how bad he actually was. Um, and the other thing about Carson Wentz, you got to remember that you're not going to get from Phillip Rivers is he's going to give you a little bit of rushing ability as well. I mean, he'll give you a nice floor roll. He'll probably get 20 to 40 yards rushing per game and probably – Three or four, maybe five rushing touchdowns? I was going to guess two to three, but I think five is really uh, thinking highly. But uh, uh, I would say three is a good is a good good guess for his rushing touchdowns, which, like you said, very valuable. Big boost, big boost for a quarterback. So I don't think Carson Wentz is a bad quarterback to have as maybe your QB2. Um, I don't want him as your QB1 simply because there's so many other good quarterbacks. And the Colts aren't going to ask him to throw the ball 500 times. They're going to be a running team first. And we saw the weeks where even when Phillip Rivers had a good week and passed for 300 yards, he'd only have one touchdown because Jonathan Taylor can just pound it in once you get that close. Or they get weird and use Trey Burton, uh, some kind of weird formation. So I don't think Wentz is going to have the 30, 35 touchdowns. Uh, He's probably going to be a nice, I don't know, 10 to 15 picks, 25 passing touchdowns, and he'll probably run for three or four more. Um, so he'll be a nice QB too, but I don't want him as your top guy. And certainly a plug and play option for for a bye week if you're looking for a starting quarterback. You have to obviously do all that. The streamer, if it's exactly. a good matchup, so. put him yeah, in. Yeah, you can but. certainly certainly use him. So that's Carson Wentz. Let's go to the tight ends. Um, Mo Alley Cox, the uh, 29th ranked tight end in 2020, was a uh, tight end seven in weeks two to four. He had a good stretch there, and jo- Jack Doyle, of course, was out in weeks two and three. So. Uh, when Jack was out, Mo got a little bit more work. He's not being drafted in most leagues, um, and, and I wouldn't I wouldn't think that he would be drafted in in many leagues either because Jack Doyle is still kind of your your top tight end. Mo is is a guy who's taken steps from being just a free agent guy who's a college basketball player, and and he's made some incredible catches and really fun plays. Just to see him running through the middle of the field last year and that one catch that he had, like turned around, no one's in front of him. It was the funniest thing. See Mo just chugging along <laughs> in the middle of the field, but uh, but I I, I I wouldn't draft him. I don't think as a tight end in any league. No, n- none of the Colts' three tight ends, I included yeah, Kylan Granson, yeah. are being t- are being drafted mm-hmm. right now, and for good reason because the Colts just spread it around so much. Yep. They use all three of their tight ends. And, you know, if you could combine all three of them into one tight end, they'd probably be a top five guy. Um, I, I didn't do the math on that. I probably should have before the show. Gosh, but <laughs> I know, but the Colts, and, the, and that's kind of the theme of what we've talked about so far. The Colts are going to th- spread it around. they got three running backs that are all going to be involved. Uh, all three top receivers are going to be pretty close to equally involved, maybe week to week, depending on matchups. One guy will get... 10 targets when the other two get five. But over the course of the season, I would imagine they're going to be equally used or close to it. 
Carson Wentz is a QB two, and then the three tight ends are really just sharing sharing the wealth there. So when one guy isn't really featured, it's hard to count on him on fantasy, especially a tight end where you only start one. And here's the thing about early in the season too, because if the Colts aren't going to start Eric Fisher week one at left tackle, they're going to start Sam Tevy, and they're going to want to keep a tight end in to help him out over there. It's just it's just going to happen. So there's going to be even fewer opportunities for the tight end to score some points early in the year. So. Maybe later in the year, uh, one of these guys uh, gets hot, and you might be able to pick them up as a free agent. But again, if you're drafting them, I just think there's going to be even less tight end production at the start of the year consistently for the Colts because of that situation. So I think we all agree it's probably best to stay away from tight ends. But uh, eager to see what Kylan Granson can do, no doubt about that. That doesn't mean that I'm going to draft him for, for my fantasy team for sure. Kicker, your boy, Rodrigo right. Blankenship, the number six kicker in 2020 leagues. But being drafted 11th this year on ESPN, average draft position 165 down there. Disrespect, Joe. Disrespect. For, respect the specs. Yes, right. So I, I, I was surprised to see him fall like six, five, six spots. You figure the Colts are probably going to be a good scoring offense, but that, that's what a lot of people do for kickers. You look for high scoring offenses and you try to draft that kicker and you figure you'll be okay. Um, Hot Rod took advantage of a lot of opportunities last year, as much as we've said on this show with Mike here that. Like, bringing in Pinheiro is, is a good good barometer, good kick in the pants, we think, for him to to make sure he has everything together. Not that the job is really up for grabs. Or I think it's certainly his to lose. I don't think he's going to lose it. But um, but anyway, to, to see him drop just uh, down to the 11th kicker off the board in ESPN is a little surprising to me. I think he's going to be a top six, uh, probably a, mm, certainly top 10. I'll, I'll go with top 8, and I think I'd be, feel pretty safe about that position. I'd agree with that, and... If he takes another step forward this year, he could be top five or six yeah. kicker because yeah. there's there's a few weeks where you're, he'd miss a kick and you just kind of scratch your head like really you missed that one. Um, so if he gets his consistency a little better there, he, he might be even higher scoring. And he's in a good offense. I like to target the kickers and offenses you think are going to be good but not great because I want them kicking field goals, not extra points. Yes. And I think that's what the Colts' offense is going to be. I don't think it's going to be a top five offense up there with the Bills and Chiefs, but I think it's probably going to be a top 10 offense. So uh, I'm going to be targeting a blank and chip in my fantasy draft sets for sure. Uh, I think he's easily going to be a top 10 kicker, absolutely, um, as long as he can beat out Pinheiro. And I think that might be what's driving down his draft position at this time of year, just the uncertainty with the Colts bringing Pinheiro in. But I think by the time August rolls around, that's not going to be a question anymore. Now the Colts defense, the third highest scoring defense in 2020, and uh, has spent 12 weeks in a top 10 fantasy defense, which were the most in the league. That's a great stat, Joe. Good job. Um, but right now they're being picked as, again, the 11th, just like Hot Rod, the 11th defense in special teams off the board. Again, a big drop from third all the way down to 11th. What you lost in Justin Houston was a guy who had 10 sacks, so that's obviously a loss, and you're bringing in a rookie quitty pay to try to fill those shoes. That's a that's a big ask. And also in Justin Houston, a guy who gets safeties, it seems like, every year. But, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, so those were big big gets for the Colts to have uh, some safeties, and I think Houston had one or two of them last year. Maybe he had one taken. I forget exactly what it was. But anyway, I know he had at least one. Um, so, so that's really the biggest change, I think, for the Colts' defense. Other than that, Anthony Walker's gone too. We'll give him that. Houston and Autry, so the yeah, two pass and Autry, rushers. and Autry, yeah. So, so you're 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 thinking dropping them down a little bit because of that, and I get that. Um, but 
but I still think the Colts are going to have a good scoring defense because, again, that's what, like, Matt Eberflus wants to do. He wants to be aggressive. You want to take the ball away. There's a lot. It, it's not It's not quite a um, – I don't know what I'm trying to say. But I, I, I just think they're better than the 11th scoring defense. This, this defense is keeping on growing, I, I think. And if your defensive ends can – uh, can approach the production, not even have to match it, but can approach the production of those first two. I think everyone else is is in pretty good shape. Your safeties are one year better, both of those guys. I think it's a really underrated position on the team. Xavier Rhodes ha- had a really good first year with the Colts. He's back. Kenny Moore keeps getting better year after year. Darius Leonard keeps getting better year after year. Bobby Okereke keeps getting better year after year. So so there, there's a lot of reason to think that this defense will be will be pretty darn good, but they could see a dip in production because those sacks matter, safeties matter. Um, in terms of a fantasy perspective, I don't know if it'll be quite as high scoring as last year, but I would certainly think the Colts will be a top 12, so a starting fantasy defense most of the time. That A lot of times defenses are obviously based on the matchup that you're facing, so you want yeah. maybe two on there so you can go back and forth. But for the most part, more weeks than not, the Colts, I think, will be a consistent defensive performer that give you some points. And heck, if uh, they don't have to play Deshaun Watson twice a year yeah, anymore. It would be better. That would be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would probably rank the Colts as maybe around the sixth defense. You know, they were third last year, maybe sixth or seventh this year. Uh, just because the sacks are a big question mark, you're relying on some unproven players there. Not only to get you your sacks and your strip sacks, but also to put pressure on the quarterback to force them into some bad throws that lead to interceptions and whatnot. So I think the Colts defense might take a step back uh, just because of the pass rush. But, you know, relying on young players who are unproven can go both ways. Quiddy Pay might be a stud year one and get you 10, 11 sacks. Uh, And then maybe Tyquan Lewis steps it up and gets... Six. I don't think that's crazy to think maybe Tyquan Lewis can get you six sacks. Um, and then all of a sudden you're pretty close to the production of Houston and Autry, who I think both had around eight last year. So I, I think the Colts might take a slight step back on the pass rush department, but I don't think it'll be as drastic as some people think uh, just because the names aren't as familiar. Here, here's another thing with, with drafting the Colts defense too, because you're, you're looking for defenses that'll produce for you early in the year. And I don't know if the Colts' defense is going to produce that much early in the year, Joe. Week they, one. Exactly. Week one is Seattle. So you got Russell Wilson in there. Week two is the Rams. They have a good offense. Week three, Tennessee. Yeah. Real like, good offense. Exactly. A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, Derrick Henry. And finally, in week four, you get Miami, but you're in Miami. So that's at least one thing that's a little they bit. Got they got better, too. Will did. Fuller. Next week is at Baltimore with, uh, with Lamar Jackson. Then finally Houston, and if Deshaun Watson is back, that doesn't make you feel very good. You're at San Francisco the week after. If Jimmy Garoppolo is back and healthy, two years ago they made the Super Bowl for crying out loud. Then Tennessee again. And finally the Jets. I mean, the, the start to this season is just rough. It is rough. And especially if Deshaun Watson is back, there are no easy weeks for the Colts defense during that time. So if you're drafting the Colts defense based on last year's production, I get it. But I would, I would not feel safe starting them consistently throughout the start of this year. Yeah, I'm a guy who always likes to stream his defense. Yep. I'll take my defense probably my probably my last pick, last or second to last pick, yep. because it's usually that or kicker that's my uh, last or second to last pick. And I usually just make that pick based on what defense I think is going to have the best week one. So whoever's playing probably Houston week one is yep. who I'm going to draft this year, and I just stream week to week because <clears throat> it's the most reliable factor – with defenses, and sometimes you get lucky and you get a 
team like the Colts, who you could pretty much play all year last year. Or a couple years ago, the Bears yep. were a weekly defense, the Jaguars a few years ago. Um, but for the most part, unless you get lucky and strike gold with one of those defenses where you can just set it and forget it, you need to stream in the most reliable indicator of defensive points is how crappy the offense they're playing is. And so you just chase whoever is playing the worst offense every week, and there you go. So, and, and like we said, it's, it's going to be tough, we think, at the beginning of the year. Maybe the Rams in that first one is like is one that you can maybe slow down a bit if things go slowly maybe. with Matthew Stafford. You know, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm grasping yeah, straws here, though. Yeah. But, but other I'm than high that, on Cam look, Akers. Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, so you look at that. But again, the Colts, de- the rush defense last year was really true. good. And you still have De- Buckner. You still have um, Grover right alongside him. So I'm still pretty bullish about the Colts' rushing defense. And the only guy who, again, scares me is Derrick Henry because he, he should scare everybody. So I, I think that the Colts would be okay with Cam Akers. And He's famous scared last words, standing but... in a room next to him. Yeah, He's I know, a huge right? Man. Dude, yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's that's our take on the Colts. And, and, and we did mention, I want to say, we mentioned the schedule's brutal for the Colts' defense. I don't think it's as bad for offensive players. Yeah. I wouldn't avoid any Colts because they have a really tough – schedule against elite defenses there's a few like the rams the buccaneers are in there new england's always got a good d but they don't consistently like a a team i would avoid is the Bengals. they play the steelers twice the the ravens twice and the browns twice all three probably have a top 10 defense Mm -hmm. so i know there's a lot of hype with the Bengals, but when you look at that division probably the best defenses in the nfl so but i don't think the colts are anywhere near that so i wouldn't avoid in their offensive players because of the schedule. And something that can always, to me, when, when I'm drafting, you can always break a tie, at least maybe, between two guys you're considering is who, who the team is playing during the prototypical playoff weeks. And, yeah. of course, in the past, that's been like weeks 14 through 16, especially 15 and 16. But now with the extra week, of course, the NFL season, it's becoming weeks uh, more so uh, 16 and 17 or your two, your semifinals, your finals, typically, before the final week of the year, week 18. But um, the, the, the two teams the Colts are playing there are Christmas Day at Arizona, um, Arizona's defense, they have J.J. Watt there this year, so it'll be eager to see if, if that really, uh, pairing him with uh, Syracuse's own Chandler Jones, there's our Syracuse mention about an hour into the show, is, uh, is able to really be, be hazardous to offenses, but we know Arizona gave up a good deal of points last year, and then the Raiders, at home, on, uh, on championship uh, week 17, potentially, so um, Raiders are a team that can get scored on as well. Uh, so, so those are two teams that, that at least right now don't terrify you. Um, it's not, it's not the easiest like last year, like the Jaguars and the Jets. You're not going to see that for many teams there, but for the Colts, this is nothing again, like you would say that should scare people away from drafting some offensive players. No, uh, Arizona might be a solid defense, but mm-hmm. they're not scary. And then even earlier the year, I'm not afraid of Seattle's defense. Rams scares me a little bit, but I think Tennessee's can be scored on. Miami and Baltimore have good defenses, but not the kind of defenses where you avoid at all costs. Right. Uh, so I think the Colts' schedule is fine. It's probably middle of the pack as far as fantasy-wise. There's no reason to avoid any Colts because of their schedule. Um, before we wrap things up here, is there any non-Colts players that you're really high on this year in fantasy that you're targeting? Maybe not obvious first round players but kind of that mid to late round guy that you really like i do like i I, i'm i'm eager to see if san francisco can really bounce back with a healthy jimmy garoppolo because if they can um like kittle is always going to be good but debo samuel could be really an interesting player i think and garoppolo himself could be a qb1 by the end of the year so i I think I, i think samuel might be the first guy that pops into my mind there 
going off of that, I've been going after Ayuk a lot because mm-hmm. I thought he looked yeah. great as a rookie. And Debo Samuel, his injuries just keep popping up. Yep. Um, a little higher, I love Antonio Gibson mm-hmm. this year. I think he's going to be stud. You could probably get him maybe round three. Uh, and I think he's going to be a player who Washington relies on more. And then obviously with Julio Jones gone, uh, Calvin Ridley is oh, yeah. a, a top five. He, he, I think he's, yeah, he's jump, taking a huge jump. Yeah, he's, if you get him past the second round now, he's a steal. Yeah. But um, yeah, those are some of the players I really like. And then... Man, uh, Javante Williams, a rookie running back for Denver, is another player I like to target just because Denver traded up to take him in the draft, uh, top around two. I know Melvin Gordon's there, but he's getting older, and they drafted Javante for a reason. So I think by the end of the year, he might be a league winner for some teams. Check out Joe's work with Roto Street Journal. Follow him on Twitter, at Roto Street Joe, to, to see his articles and see some others from uh, from the fine work they do there for fantasy football. So this has been our early fantasy football uh, Colts uh, pod, Blue Zone podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone to uh, get Colts news and notes throughout the week. And uh, I am Dave Griffiths. That's at Dave G underscore sports. We're missing our very own Mike Chapel. He's at mchapel51, but still providing some content from time to time now, even though he's off the podcast for the, uh, for the direct present. But he'll be back in the very immediate future to continue to give his analysis and his takes as training camp approaches. So we do thank you for listening to this Colts Blue Zone podcast. We encourage you to download and subscribe, get us delivered to your podcast listening device whenever we drop, and we will see you next time. 